Good morning, everyone. So good that we can be together to worship and uh, to come under uh, the word of the living God. And so I want to invite you to join me in John chapter 13. We are continuing there and we'll look to this week, uh, John 13 verses 1 through 17. So we turn here, we've been preparing for this for the past few weeks, but at this point now the setting has changed. We're in the upper room. And for the next five chapters in John's gospel, there will be no crowds. It is Jesus with the twelve. These are the final intimate hours. Beloved, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around them, around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord, do you wash my feet?' Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you've given us this word as a blessing, as an encouragement, as a command. And so I pray that, that all here this day, myself included, would hear and receive. Would you anoint not merely the reading and preaching of your word, but would you anoint the ears that would hear that we might see and love and follow Jesus. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. 
Christmas Day, 1951. My great-great-grandfather, Henry Lewis Brooker, gathered his family around him in the old family home place outside of Dalton, Georgia. He was not on his deathbed, but he knew that his time was coming. So he gathered his family around him in order that he might pass on the torch to the next generation. So the words that he, he spoke that Christmas day are, are now written and framed and hanging on uh, the walls of his descendants after him under the title, Our Heritage. I never knew him, um, but he spoke that day of our family identity, a family identity rooted in faith in Jesus Christ and manifested in love for one another. And he prayed that day that that identity would continue on for the generations to come. In a sense, they were his last words. Last words carry a certain weightiness to them, don't they? They are spoken by one who is given the gift of clarity over a life lived, and in that clarity has a certain vision for the priorities that ought to be lasting. Our family, in the generations after Henry Lewis Brooker, have clung to those words. We find them weighty and have sought to live them out. In another sense, these words that I read to you today from John chapter 13, they, they were Jesus' last words. They carry the weightiness of last words. They, they bring about a clarity for us. They are spoken with power. And just as our family has sought to cling to the words of our great-great-grandfather, you and I today would do well to listen to Jesus' words. As he opened the text and the, the first verses that I read, we, we got the sense that Jesus knew these were his last words. You heard that word knew, know, knowing, multiple times in, in the opening three verses. Jesus, he knew. He knew what was before him. He knew his time had come. He knew that all things had been given to him by God. He knew that he had come from the Father. He knew that he was going back to the Father. So everything that he said and did and in the text that I've written, uh, read and, and in the text that we will uh, read in the coming weeks, it was all flowing out of that knowledge, the knowledge of, of what was before him. But also I have underlined some beautiful words there at the end of Verse 1, where it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
Jesus, he loved well. He loved his people well. Having loved them, he continued, and he continued right up until the very end. And so not only did all that he say and do flow out of his knowing what was before him, but all that he said and did flowed out of his love for them. It was a reflection of his love. So in our time together today, I want us to look at these final words and actions, and I believe that we'll see that they were born out of this love, that Jesus loved the disciples well, and he did so first, as we see in the text, by serving them. He served them in a, in a very specific way. We're going to get to that, but first I'd, I'd like to just point out something, point out something that really struck me as I spent time in this text today uh, and over the course of the week. You know, it's far too often, I think when we approach a, a portion of Scripture, we, we jump to the to-do and there is a to-do in this text. We're going we're gonna to get to it. We're going to unpack it. But before we jump to the to-do, we need to see the portrait. The portrait of the person of Jesus. And it is a beautiful portrait. These are his last hours. He knew it. He knew that just a matter of hours he would be betrayed and he knew what would be the the outcome of that betrayal he knew that he would be arrested he knew that that he would be beaten tortured that he would go to the cross and and there that he would within a matter of hours breathe his last painful breath now i don't know about you. But if I knew all of those things, I think I, I don't think, I know that I would be distracted in the presence of others. But the portrait that we have of Jesus here in this text is, is very different. His is, is an unhurried presence. His is an unanxious presence. He is present. He is with His family, serving them, loving them. Before we get to the specifics, you got to see the portrait of the man. you got to see that this is a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And in seeing this portrait, know that it is my prayer for me and for you that, that we would see and love. Because this man... He's worthy of our love. He is worthy of our affection. Fall in love with this Jesus today. Now, the portrait beginning to take shape in front of us. Let's, let's see his action. Verses 4 and 5. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel tied it around his waist and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him let me provide a little bit of cultural context for you 
It was standard practice for the rabbis of the day to gather around them a group of students, disciples. Those the students would, would spend time with their rabbi. They would learn at his feet. They would be taught by him. It was their graduate school. It was the way that, that the teaching was passed on to the next generation. It was the standard practice for the rabbis to gather around them, these students. But what was not standard practice of the day was for the rabbi to serve the students. Students were there to serve the rabbi. The students were there to do his bidding. And yet, even though the students were there to serve the rabbi, never, ever would the students have been called upon to wash the rabbi's feet. You see, that service, that was the work of the servants. The Gentile Servants, the slaves, the lowest of the low. Never, ever would the students have been asked to wash the feet of the rabbi. Think about it for a moment. These men, they weren't walking around in their Nikes. (laughs) They weren't walking on paved sidewalks that had been swept clean. They were walking dirty, dusty, muddy streets. And sandals. In other words, this job of washing feet, it was a filthy job reserved for the slave. And yet Jesus, the rabbi, humbled himself by taking on the loincloth of the slave, cleaning the dirty, dusty, smelly feet of his students. He made his way around the circle there in the upper room, washing the feet of of the disciples, and, and then he gets to Peter. Peter refuses. Don't you just love Peter? You, you, you think about Peter and his impetuousness and, and how he refused. And you say, oh, there's Peter being Peter. But I actually believe that this is the one time where Peter got it. P- Peter understood what was going on. He, he understood the over-the-top notion that Jesus, the King of Kings, would wash him. And, and Peter felt totally unworthy. It was a crazy thought that Jesus would, would stoop to such a level that, that he would clean Peter's feet. And so Peter resisted. But Jesus insisted. Now, just why Jesus insisted on on cleaning Peter's feet, we'll get to in a moment. But but first, I want to invite you to join with me in in wrestling with a question. A question that's been on my heart over the course of this week, and I want to invite you in. And the question that I've wrestled with is this, would I resist? Jesus washing my feet, and why? Why would I resist? Why do I resist Him figuratively washing my feet? It's an incredible act of humility for Jesus to do such a thing, but it is also an act 
of intimacy. You see, to wash one's feet requires close proximity. It requires physical touch. And in that close proximity, that touching proximity, there is no hiding. I don't want to be too gross, but my toenails aren't always nicely kept. I have a nasty bruise on one toe where one certain someone larger than me stepped on me. Disfigured, discolored. My feet are smelly. It's just not pretty. And for Jesus to to get close enough to wash my feet, he'd know all that. I would be exposed. That's true of my feet. It's the reason I walk around with shoes on. But it's also true of my heart. Which is why I'm hesitant beyond merely the the physical act of of foot washing. Because for Jesus to, to love and serve me would require him to get close, to get intimate, to know all the details of my heart. The same is true if I were to allow others to serve me. Now, knowing my issues, as you know, (laughs) you might understand that I tend to project on others. I can question motives. Will they be kind? Will they be trustworthy with not my feet, but my heart? Sometimes I'd rather people just say, nice sermon, Pastor, and continue on. It's a lesser love. It's less extravagant, but I can control it. It keeps it at arm's distance. It takes vulnerability to take off my shoes and socks. But Jesus loves well by serving his own intimately and knowingly, and so I wonder Would I let him wash my feet? Do I let him figuratively wash my feet? Does any of this resonate with you? Is this just me that I like to keep that type of love and service at arm's length? Will you receive loving service from Jesus? Will you receive loving service from Jesus' people? And why? Jesus tells us that We have no place with him unless we receive. And so what does he mean? Why is that? Well, Jesus loved his disciples well by serving them, but he also loved his disciples well by sanctifying them. Now, listen, this humble act of of loving service, the the physical act of washing his feet, it's... It had plenty of meaning in and of itself. It is is an act of love, and and we need to celebrate that. But we also need to understand that that loving act points to something deeper. It points to a deeper cleansing. 
when, um, when I get a chance to spend time with the children in the communicants class, we talk about this cleansing. And I'll ask them a question. I'll say, you know, tell me about what happens when you go outside and play. And you get dirty. What does your, what does your mom say when, when you try and walk in and, and you're dirty? And they all smile and say, well, I have to, she tells me I have to go take a shower. I have to get clean. And then I'll ask them, all right, now, what if you get really dirty? I mean, rolling around in the mud dirty. What does mom do then? And, and sometimes with a grin on their face, they'll say, well, she'll get the water hose out then. <laughs> she'll spray me down before I come in. Kids? And adults seem to understand that, that we need to be clean before there's access. But here's the issue. Our sin, it doesn't stain our skin. Our sin stains our hearts. And no amount of bathing will clean our hearts. So when Jesus washes with water, he is pointing to a deeper, more lasting cleansing that comes not from the water, but from the blood. He's pointing beyond the water basin and to the cross. Jesus went to sanctify us. To sanctify is to make clean in a special way. To sanctify is to make clean holy. Peter heard all of that and he said in verse 9, Lord, not my feet only, but also my, my head and my hands. In other words, Peter is saying, Jesus, turn that water hose on. Soak me fully. I want to be with you. Jesus responds in verse 10 with beautiful words. You're already clean, Peter. You're already clean. So why the foot washing? Why, if he's already clean, would he then need for his feet to be washed? Well, I believe that Jesus, through this act and through the, the discourse with Peter and the disciples, he's pointing to the fact that this sanctifying work is a work that is done and being done. Done and being done. Maybe Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 can, can help explain this. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14, it, it tell, the word tells us that for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Perfected and being sanctified. Done and being done. The doneness of Hebrews 10, 14, the doneness of the, the cleansing that we have is from Jesus' single offering where he offered himself on the cross. Jesus was one and done. His sacrifice was once and it was complete. It was effectual. And on the cross, he perfected for all time his own. He didn't say that all are clean, but he said that you, his own, are clean. And there, on the cross, he did that. He, he gave them forgiveness by, 
by taking their sin on himself, paying the price for their sin, but he did more than forgiving them. On the cross, he declared them righteous. His perfect righteousness, his holiness was placed on them, on us. On the cross, Jesus made his own holy. This is the gospel. Forgiven and declared righteous. And Jesus could declare Peter clean. Even though he had not yet gone to the cross. Because Peter, though it was not all worked out in his mind. Peter believed in the promise that God had made from long before. That there would be a redeemer. Who would redeem God's people. From the curse of sin. Peter and the disciples didn't have all of that fully fleshed out. They didn't understand that the Redeemer would pay the price on the cross. But they believed in faith that God would honor His promise. Jesus declared them clean. Done and being done. They were simultaneously being sanctified. What was already true of them, what had been declared true on the cross, their righteousness given to them by faith alone in Christ alone, that was done, but it was also becoming experientially true. I've used this illustration before, but on December 6, 1997, I married my wife. And on that day, we became legally one. A declaration was made that we were united as one. But now, some 25 years in, that oneness is deeper. It's truer. It's more of an experiential reality than it was on that first day, but it is no less legally true. Being done is growing into the experiential reality of our union in Christ and growing in the holiness that He has already declared over us. How does that happen? Well, it happens as you and I put sin to death through an ongoing life of faith and repentance. But you need to see this. That, that repentance is a, is a life of of renewal symbolized in the foot washing here in John chapter 13 and given to us as an aspect of Jesus' love, not only the done, but also the being done. How beautiful would it be to hear Jesus say those words, you are clean. You are clean. You hear them in his word. Jesus tells his own, you are clean. What an act of love that Jesus would affirm this gospel truth in us. There is no wavering in this statement. It is intimate and declaratory. And it is an act of Jesus' love for his own. But it is also an act of love that Jesus would invite us to more fully experience that union by drawing us into to a lifestyle of repentance and renewal 
this continual act of repentance is a continual act of relational renewal where by day by day we, we die to sin and we live to Christ. To growing into what He has already declared to be true. And I believe that is what Jesus is saying when He talks about those who have been clean just needing the washing of their feet. Jesus is loving well. He's loving his disciples well and doing so by serving them humbly, intimately, by sanctifying them. But he continues to love them well by sending them. In verse 12, Jesus goes back to the table. And the teacher teaches, explaining what he has just done. But in addition to explaining it, he's he's instructing them. Saying that this work of humble service is not merely for the teacher, it's also for the students. Because the student is not greater than the teacher. So verse 17 summarizes it all. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I, I hope it's apparent for you that that Jesus is serving and sanctifying our acts of His love, but you also need to see that His sending is an act of His love. Because He loves, He sends. And He does so, so that we might enjoy the blessing of humbling ourselves before others. Did you hear that? That we might enjoy the blessing of humbling ourselves before others. Blessed are you if you do them. There's blessing in joining, in union with Jesus. To serve others by washing their feet is to more fully experience the joy of Jesus in our lives. And so how are we to do this? Well, some apply it literally. And that's appropriate for us on some level to to wash another's feet. It's an act of humility. It's an act of of intimacy. But I believe that Jesus is beautifully calling us to a broader application. Earlier you heard a letter read to you from our life team. The letter encouraging you to bring Jesus to bear in the lives of of others, specifically the unborn, women in crisis situations, orphans, children in dire situations, men who aren't prepared to be fathers, the hurting and the lost. Such a timely, timely call that I believe the Lord has has sovereignly ordained that he would bring this letter from the life team on a day when we come to John 13 and Jesus is called to humble ourselves by lovingly serving others. To humbly, intimately, sacrificially serve those who find themselves in desperate and even scary situations. Earlier I talked about not wanting people to touch my ugly feet. Will we be willing to touch the feet of others? Will we be willing to serve them in the midst of the mess? 
knowing that our lives have their own form of messiness that is just as messy. Could the life team and serving with the life team be the way that Jesus is inviting you to wash the feet of others and to receive that blessing yourself? Could partnering with the life team be your obedience to verse 17, to to serve those who are fostering within our church body, to serve those who are adopting within our church body, possibly even to foster yourself or to adopt yourself, to serve those mothers who find themselves pregnant and not sure what they are to do, to to love and care for them, to, to love and care for and instruct the men who are now to be fathers. Could this be the way the Lord Jesus is calling you to wash the feet? Partnering with our life team is not the only way that we can obey this call in verse 17. There are other areas where we as Christ lovers and Christ followers can humbly, intimately serve others. But, but please consider, please consider the invitation. Life team will meet next week during the fellowship time. Consider the invitation to join them. But however you respond, respond. However you respond to God's word, respond knowing that this sending call was born out of his perfect love. Not merely for those who will receive your service, but for you as you give it. It's the heart of Jesus is on display for us in his final hours as he lays out for us our heritage. I opened with telling you about my great-great-grandfather, Henry Lewis Brooker, and the vision that he laid out for our family heritage. On that day when he spoke those words, I, I've got a picture of him with, with his family surrounding him. My young grandmother and her sisters, and their cousins. And though I didn't know my great-great-grandfather, I did know my grandmother and her sisters and their cousins. And I saw in their lives this, this heritage lived out. That day, my great-great-grandfather's words resonated with them, and I believe it did so because they weren't mere words. There was a consistency between his life and his words. Those words clarified that life and set a vision for an identity for his family after him. That is infinitely more true of our Savior. In John chapter 13, Jesus is modeling a consistency of life and words because the teacher in John 13 is not lecturing in a lecture hall. The teacher in John 13 went out of the lecture hall and into the laboratory, the love laboratory. And there he taught and showed the disciples who they were to be in Christ. And then he sent them out. He sent them out into the world, into the broader love laboratory, so that there they might experience his love by sharing his love and in so doing that they might enter into his joy. Friends, that was his commandment to them. 
And it is also his commandment to us. And to both, he says, blessed are you if you do. Lord Jesus, you are beautiful. Lord Jesus, you are wise. Lord Jesus, you are holy. Lord Jesus, you are loving. And I pray that we this day would see you in your fullness and would respond accordingly. Change our hearts. The preacher and the hearers. For your glory and our good. Christ's name. Amen.